Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers Rice is one commodity that has been in the news over the past year first deficient rains in eastern parts of India the world largest rice exporter forced the Indian government to curb shipments from September 2022 It banned exports of fully broken rice and imposed a 20% export duty on shipments of white and brown rice. Next, neighboring Pakistan experienced one of its severest floods in history that damaged its paddy crops. These two events led to tight supplies in the world rice market. This year, prospects of El Nino setting in have raised concern over the cereals demand supply balance. What will the situation be? Here's Charles Hart, agribusiness analyst, commodities of BMI, a Fitch Solutions company. Welcome to BL Podcast, Charles. Now, what's happened is BMI has said that you know the global rice market is set to generate its largest production deficit since 2003-04. Uh, when you're saying that this year the uh, production deficit, I'll, I'll start again. BMI had said that global deficit uh, rice market. in 2223 is set to generate its largest production deficit since 2034 uh, but the market will return to balance in 2324 now how do you see this happening hello um thank you for having me on and uh, i hope you and all your listeners are well um so yes you're right so for the 2223 season which runs roughly from july of last year um up to where we are about now to be honest Um our forecast for the global rice market um was for consumption to exceed production during that 12 month time frame um by about um 9 uh, 910 million tons. So there's an important point here which is that a deficit um is a different concept to a shortage those things are different. Um particularly because the global rice market rarely generates deficits. Um the most recent one apart from this year and last year um was 20 years ago so when you have um a series of long run surpluses like we have had um you you can accumulate inventories which is what has been done on a global basis so the point of a deficit is not that physical supply is in question uh, there are ample supplies but the point of a deficit um is that it implies a slight tightening of the market um and i think we've seen that over the last um well you can look back as far as covid um for a general uptick in rice prices but over the last 12 months we've probably seen an acceleration um of that uptick so at the start of this year or towards the end of last year um the market was producing prices um that hadn't really been seen since 2008 towards the end of 2008 in a period which you know sometimes known as the global food crisis um it had particularly different um drivers and one of the reasons as you mentioned that we see um the deficit not being repeated next year so for 23 24 our forecast is for the market to switch back to surplus um a relatively low surplus in terms of recent history but a surplus nonetheless um and part of that is our assumption of um more normal weather conditions um so at the extreme case or at the extreme end of the weather spectrum last year were of course the terrible floods in pakistan 
Pakistan is quite a major rice exporter. Production there for rice fell by about a third due to those floods. We're expecting a partial rebound in 23-24, but not a full rebound. Um, so that's perhaps one reason why the surplus um, is not as large as it has been in the past. Um, we also had relatively intense heat conditions around the Yangtze Delta of southeast China, which perhaps didn't have that large an impact on production in terms of absolute volumes year on year, but it definitely weighed on what would otherwise have been um, expected growth. So hopefully that explains why we thought supply would be a bit tight in the year we've just had and will loosen in the year. Just to sort of finish up this point um, with demand. Um, so over the last 12 months, we've seen quite strong rice uh, demand growth over the last 24 months. And part of that reason has been um, a general uh, rising price for all grains. Um, so wheat, corn, most foodstuffs have shown higher prices through COVID. So starting in 2020, um, but beginning to sort of get going in mid-2020. Um, and we've seen that trend continue pretty much um, since then. So obviously COVID um, led to disruption internally. So the distribution of food within a country, whether that's from farmer to trader to consumer or the other way around, but also international um, transportation was disrupted. So we saw that um, most clearly in the rising price of seaborne uh, freight, seaborne vessels. Another part, was um, the um, prices in the fuel prices, excuse me, um, which rose through this period. And of course, fuel represents a major input um, for farms. Um, and of course, um, when oil prices go up, um, there are sort of various linkages between oil and agriculture, whether that's the biofuels market, um, commodity index funds, things like that. Um, so there are sort of price carryover effects between the two. And again, those were acute in 22-23, if not the year before that as well. But in 23-24, as we sort of shift more into a post-COVID environment, um, particularly as the shock of um, February 2022 with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, the shock that prompted in uh, global agricultural markets, as that begins to ease, it's not just the price of rice, but as the price of other products falls, that will uh, reduce that substitution effect that I mentioned. Uh, yesterday, the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia said that three of the four conditions for El Nino have been met. And uh, last week, uh, the Climate Prediction Center of the US said that El Nino is truly low. Now, how do you see El Nino impacting demand supply balance in rice? I think that's a really good question. And that's probably one of the major um, uncertainties, uh, particularly from an agricultural point of view, that will uh, colour the next six, nine months. So I think the first important point to make is that one El Nino differs from another in both intensity uh, and duration being the two main ones. There's also um, a variable impact in terms of having an El Nino active may have a different um, impact on one area than another, obviously. Within that, um, I think for the rice producing regions of the world. So here I'm thinking of Southeast Asia, um, India, and then the, wide, the wider um, area of, of South Asia. It tends to be associated, and again, I say tend, um, because there are some periods in which a lesser El Nino, uh, the effect is not really noticeable, but the effect tends to be uh, warmer temperatures and drier temperatures, um, which both make uh, rice cultivation in particular challenging. Um, so obviously heat and uh, reduced water will weigh on yields after 
to the crop is in the ground. But of course, um, farmers, and there's a lot of coverage, you know, around this El Nino. It's been in the, particularly well, the agriculture news for a couple of months now. And with the expectation of an El Nino on the horizon, um, farmers um, may look to adapt in advance. So a, quite a clear case here is um, in Indonesia, for example. Um, El Nino in Indonesia tends, again, to be associated with drier weather. And so what you can see in farmer planting decisions is that ahead of an El Nino, they may start swapping what would have been rice plantings for a less water intensive crop, whether that may be corn or something else. So those are the sort of general impacts. I think perhaps some of the coverage around El Nino this time has um, been focused on quite the near term past. So there was an El Nino between the end of 2014 into the first half of 2016 that was particularly severe. Um, and that had quite a large impact on global uh, well, rice production, but agricultural production. So if we look at the 15-16 season, uh, global rice production fell by 1.3%. But more importantly, um, global rice exports um, were down about um, 7%. And that drop in exports was led um, in the main by India and Vietnam. So now this is a narrow on, on India and rice production in India. Again, um, the interaction between El Nino and the annual monsoon, which has just started, is the key uh, variable. Um, El Nino in general, and again, I keep stressing in general, um, is associated with reduced monsoon rainfall. It's not an exact relation. And again, the intensity of the El Nino um, mediate, is mediated sorry, um, into, uh, on the final impact on rainfall levels. The other sort of uncertainty this year is that while El Nino is more of a global weather conditions, there's a more localized one in the Indian Ocean, um, the Indian Dipole. And in this year, that is what's, it's in a positive state as opposed to a negative one. And so that tends to be associated with higher rainfall. So you have these contradictory elements of reduced and higher rainfall. And I think to a great extent, the actual impact on production is gonna be something that we not quite have to wait and see. But I think at this point, it probably is a little bit too early, especially with um, the delayed start to the monsoon over India. How do you think India is going to be placed with regard to rice? Has the global market come to accept the export duties that India began in September last So to start with um, India, um, at BMI, we're forecasting rice production of about 135 uh, million tonnes. Um, so that would be, um, based on our estimates, a 2% increase um, from last year. Uh, we also believe that the Indian rice surplus, so this is the rice over that season that's left over after consumption of that season, will increase by about eight to 900,000 tonnes. That will allow for either or both of the accumulation of inventories or higher export volumes. India has also benefited recently, in our view, um, we revised up our estimate for the for the season 22-23 um, because the in light of a later exit of monsoon rainfall, there was some quite favourable rainfall, perhaps a bit later than you would have expected, which has seen um, the estimate for 22-23 come up. We think recently as well, um, looking to the season ahead, um, we recently had the upward revisions announced to the Indian minimum support price scheme. Um, we think that would be good both for production um, in terms of it's an incentivizing prompt, um, but also 
domestic consumption. Uh, the impact of a higher minimum support price um, has the potential to make uh, Indian rice exports that bit less competitive. Um, and so an increased diversion, um, an increased diversion of Indian produced rice to the Indian market um, will play a role in stabilizing local prices, um, taking the heat out of any local um, price inflation, and will also allow for state-held inventories to be maintained, uh, if not increased. Um, in terms of where India is with its rice inventories, um, at the end of this season, uh, the USDA forecasts that there'll be um, at something approaching a five-year low. That sounds as though it's quite an extreme measure. I think it's worth putting that in context, which is that, of course, during COVID, with the expansion of um, India's food distribution schemes to ensure that during what was an incredibly difficult time, um, people were provided with food, that naturally saw an increase um, because there was just more uh, being provided. So the fact that it's smaller um, largely reflects that the need for those COVID era schemes has been slightly reduced. So in and of itself, um, not uh, particularly worrying. To pick up your second point on the impact of the Indian export restrictions, um, it's perhaps interesting. Um, if you look at average rice prices, um, so we base our analysis on second month rice futures, the average price of those um, futures during October was actually slightly lower than it was in September. So our view is less that the decision to restrict um, exports of some rice varieties um, fuel price increases. Our view is perhaps more that it put a floor under, under prices. Um, so it supported prices at their existing level um, rather than prompting price increases. So, and then since October, for the months that we have complete data for, um, rice prices only rose in two of those months. And in the month we've just had, May 2023, prices were actually lower than in August 2022. So that was the month before those export restrictions were brought in. And that kind of fits with the narrative I outlined at the start of this podcast, um, that we see that market loosening. And you would expect, as you switch from a deficit to a surplus, the market to loosen, which will weigh on price increases. Um, if you look at individual um, exporters, so rather than just um, a futures market, but actually the prices being quoted by individual export prices, you can see there's a slightly differentiated impact in that those rice varieties to which India's export restrictions were applied um, have increased. So, for example, um, Pakistani 25%, 5% broken rice export quotations have increased. Part of that is the market, but there are also some conditions within Pakistan. I've mentioned the flooding. Uh, there are also wider macroeconomic challenges, but also Vietnamese 25%, 5% and India 25%, 5%. So those um, those rice varieties, perhaps impacted by the prohibition on um, exports of 100% broken rice, have shown some inflationary pressures. But if you look at the types of rice that weren't included, in the export restrictions. It's a much more muted, neutral almost um, price response. So I think um, it's more to do, I think the way that it's unfolded is perhaps less a shock to the rice market as whole. Um, it is perhaps one evolving factor um, in a market like all agricultural markets that has been under some quite serious stresses over the last two, three years, but is now beginning to unwind. unwind. So you have that narrative. Um, it certainly 
perhaps supported prices and slowed down that process of unwinding. But it's hard to see a particular um, uh, price um, impetus driven from the event. Um, but if you perhaps draw below that, you have the different rice varieties perhaps reacting in slightly different ways. Because Thailand has emerged as a number two export in 2022, and it even topped India and Iraq now. So you see this continuing, particularly when uh, there are reports from Thailand which say that rice production could um, yeah, so to pick up the last point first, um, there have been uh, reports from Thailand that because of the expected reduction in rainfall from El Nino, um, there has been advice given to single crop uh, rice this year rather than double crop. Um, so that will obviously weigh on production. Um, the two crops, in a, in a normal year, you would not expect the two crops to provide 50% each of production. That's that's not how that works. So it's not as though um, half um, of the rice output is under question. It's a much smaller um, percentage. And the big factor will still be the actual level of rainfall because that will determine the yield of that single crop. Um, in terms of Thailand as a rice um, exporter, it historically has been amongst the largest in the world, as you mentioned. Um, so in purely volume terms, so I'm talking about tonnage uh, rather than value, um, Thailand was the world's largest exporter until about 10 years ago, um, 2012 is the first time, um, at which point India overtakes in tonnage terms. And India has since then uh, held on to that top spot. Um, the story with Indian rice exports has been quite um, strong, I say quite strong, very strong production growth through that period. So even though um, the population of India is rising and so rice consumption is rising, the differential between production and consumption has tended to rise and widen. And so as that widens, the larger the surplus you have, the higher exportable base you have. Now, as I've already mentioned earlier on, the last year or two, um, that surplus has switched to a temporary deficit. But of course, during the periods of surplus, you can accumulate, you can hold rice, you can build up your inventories, and you can export from that um, in subsequent um, years. So I think um, to us on our rice uh, forecast, so we forecast up to five years, we see quite consistent surpluses, um, surplus growth, sorry, coming from India, but we see a relatively consistent um, flat surplus um, coming from Thailand. So after Thailand, you have Vietnam. Again, we see quite a consistent surplus. So we don't really see much change um, in the positioning there. If you move uh, below Vietnam in purely um, tonnage terms, um, you have Pakistan um, and the US have switched position in recent years. In the very short term, um, as I've alluded to before, we would expect uh, Pakistani exports to fall. Um, that's largely due to the effect of the flooding um, on production. But again, in the long term, um, we see a recovery in Pakistan's rice surplus, which should allow for a resumption um, of that large um, export role. And how will China's imports of rice be this year? And uh, what sort of impact will that have on the rice market? Um, yeah, I think that's a, a really good question. I think um, a lot of uh, what drives how, or what will drive, sorry, how agricultural markets will unfold over the next few years um, will, to varying degrees um, of tightness, be determined by um, the evolution of Chinese agricultural trade. 
Um, if we look at the recent past, so um, the last few years, China's increase in rice imports um, has largely been of broken rice, um, and it has largely been of broken rice imported from India. Um, so in China, uh, broken rice tends to be diverted toward animal feed uh, rather than human consumption. So within that, or sitting above that, you have the wider story of the growth of uh, China's livestock industries um, and the growing demand um, for meat um, in, um, in China. And so if we look at the impact that has had on uh, Indian broken rice exports, um, in 2020, China imported about a million tons of broken rice. In 2021, about two and a half million tons of broken rice. And in 2022, 3.5 million tons of broken rice. So we can actually see quite a quick um, pickup in terms of import demand. Um, from the Chinese perspective, um, imported rice is actually quite competitive um, on the local market um, due to the low tariff rate, uh, low tariff rate quota um, that importers um, face. Um, so there's there isn't too much differential in terms of the competitive offering and that has also boosted the import demand. In the very short term we actually think that um, Chinese import demand for animal feed might drop. This is a transitory issue but it's due to heavy rain in China's wheat growing regions which has seen the quality of the wheat grown fall and as wheat's quality falls it tends again not to be diverted to human consumption but to animal feed. So in this sense there may be an almost unexpected increase in China's domestic production of animal feed grains. But in the long term um, we think that uh, volumes will be maintained. Um, we think that China, um, at BMI we forecast China's rice self-sufficiency, so that's just the relationship between production and consumption. Um, for us um, it stays between about 95-97% um, throughout our forecast period. So to a large extent, China is able to meet its own consumption needs, um, but we think it will maintain its position in the import market due to that competitive, um, the competitive positioning um, of, um, of uh, imported rice. Because the global trade in rice is around 50 million tons. Now within this, you know, what we find is there are variations. Do you think the smaller variations are the ones that are really having a bigger impact on the price part? Um, I think that's a, I think it's a very interesting question, actually. I think if you compare the rice market, the global rice market, um, to the, 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 um, the markets for wheat um, and for corn, for example, over a long period of time, the rice market has tended to be a bit narrower. And by that, I mean that the percentage um, of rice that is exported out of production tends to be quite low. So as you've said, um, you know, annual export volumes um, of about 50 million tons compared to quite large um, production figures. Um, so in this sense, we can see it as thinner. So a volume of rice, perhaps um, a reduction in export or a reduction in production, will have a larger impact on the market than the same volume um, of wheat and corn. So in that sense, it is that bit more sensitive perhaps than wheat um, and corn markets. So if we look at the deficit figure that we've forecast for 22-23 um, of just under 10 million tons, um, 
that is about one fifth, 20% um, of those annual exports. As I've said, we don't expect exports to fall by that amount, but it's just to put it in context of what is quite a large um, deficit. The sort of second point um, in terms of market sensitivity that perhaps counters the point I made about market thinness is that rice inventories um, are relatively high, even when you strip out um, the volumes of uh, rice inventories attributed to China, uh, which tends to hold very large inventories, um, it is still there are still um, sufficiently held stocks to cushion some of these impacts. Um, Thank you very much, Charles. It has been nice talking to you. Uh, we are really uh, enlightened by your views uh, that took into account all the development that have happened across the world, particularly Asia, and also take you have taken into account. Developments with regard to weather and El Nino. Thank you very much, uh, Charles. Thank you for inviting me along. Thank you very much. All the best.